0: Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. Let's go ahead and flip in our Bibles to Revelation chapter number 4. Revelation chapter number (coughs) 4. I ended the service this morning with a question: Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Uh, my typical routine of <coughs> of my daily devotion, my daily Bible reading, usually is in the morning. I wake up, you know, I brew my pot of coffee, get a shower, brush my teeth. You know, I want to go go before the lord in his word at the best i can and usually what i'll do is i start with a, a word of prayer and then we know that music helps to prepare the heart for the receiving of the word of god and so i'll usually listen to a song or a hymn or two and then really just dive into the word well I knew that Pastor was going to be out of town for a few few weeks now, and as I started to prepare, uh, you know, I prayed, God, if I want you to give me the words, I want you to give me uh, the direction on where you want me to go. And before I got to here, I was thinking about we're going to preach on first in First Corinthians chapter number one. We're going to preach on the foolish Christian. I was going to call you all a bunch of fools, and God decided otherwise. And as I was listening to the music the one morning, I said, God, well, if this isn't where you want me to go, where do, you, where do you want me to go with this message? And West Coast Baptist College just released a new album with their choir, and it's entitled, Is He Worthy? And the last song, the titular song of the of the uh, album, state or is, is is a constant question of is he worthy? And it's always a, it's a question and response. And each time that there's a question of is he worthy, the response is he is. Is he worthy? He is. Is he worthy? He is. And. I don't know if it was the repetition of the, is he worthy, is he worthy, is he worthy, or just the way that God used it to work in my heart every time that the men responded, he is, here I am now in Revelation chapter number 4. And in Revelation chapter number 4, as the brother mentioned this morning, we see beforehand in chapters one, two, and three—a little bit of an introduction to the book of Revelation. Brother Tom gave an excellent message on an overview of the book of Revelation a few weeks ago. It's probably been about now two months ago. Uh, that's going to be going up on the podcast here in a little while, or you can go and watch it on YouTube. is very good, and he kind of gave an overview of the book of Revelation, and in that he explained to us how in the first chapter we have John. Uh, the, the apostle being visited by Christ and giving, starting to give this revelation of what is to come. We start seeing the letters to the seven churches. Each of those churches were real places that John was writing to. And as the brother said this morning, each of those churches and a lot of beliefs and a lot of uh, theolo- or theological thinking think that those are ages that we've gone through. And in chapter number three, we see that John is writing to the Laodicean church. And a lot of people think that we are in the Laodicean age, that we've become lukewarm, just like the Laodicean church, that there's neither hot nor cold, that we have Christians today that are that are now luckily we do have some that are absolutely on fire for the Lord, they're ready to give the gospel, they're ready to uh, let people know about how Jesus can save them and how Jesus can bring them uh, eternal life but we also find more people every day falling in this lukewarm category. That they go to church just to check it off a box. Or they say that they're Christians just because they, uh, they are an American. We all know that somebody like that, don't we? That just because they're an American automatically means that they're a Christian. Or that because they were a good person, that that means that they're a Christian. And more and more churches are being built and more and more churches are being designed to just give a show. To give you the fix for that week just to bring you back next week to just fill that next fix. That the idea of getting into your Bible daily, to be praying to God is going more and more to the wayside. That the idea of, of, of taking responsibility for our own sin is being thrown away. That we either are all saved because, because Jesus died and everyone is saved because of universal atonement, or a few of us are saved because God said, uh, you're going to be saved and you're not, when in reality, we need to have that accountability of our sin. It, that comes with a lukewarm mentality. And as John starts to bring a close to these uh, churches and their ages. We come to chapter number four and, it, and I'm not going to really read the beginning of chapter number four because we're actually going to be reading in the end going into chapter number five. Many people believe that this is the coming of the rapture, that blessed hope where we find ourselves being taken out of the church, being taken out of what is to come, the the time whenever we <coughs> are not going to endure the wrath of God. And in chapter number four, we start to see this Beautiful imagery of the throne room of God. That we're seeing what it is like to be in the very presence of God. What is going on in in his domain, if you will. And in in chapter number 4, verse number 8, we see, and it reads, "...and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty." which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, and if you're in the heart, habit of marking in your Bibles, I would mark this, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou has created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We see that we're starting to see this imagery of what goes on before the throne of God, that day in and day out there, are, uh, there is someone or something falling down before God, giving him the praise that he is deserving of. And in chapter number 5, this is continued. But we see that there's this book that is brought about, Sealed with seven seals. We're to read this and they're trying to find out who is worthy. Who is worthy to open this book? Who is worthy to loose the seals? And we see in chapter number five, verse number one, and it says, And I saw the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong, I saw a strong angel pro- proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is? is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, that as as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. And he came, and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book and the four beasts and four... And twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang, and they sung a new song, saying, and if you're in the habit of marking in your Bibles, I would mark this, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, And we shall reign on the earth. I'm going to stop there for the sake of time. But in this throne room, in this throne room, we have have beasts and elders falling down before the Father and His throne. And all of a sudden there's this book that no one can open. And John is so overwhelmed by the fact that nobody is worthy. Nobody is able to open this book. And he's weeping. He's weeping. He's so overcome by emotion because nobody can do it. And one of the elders looks at him and says, but wait, there's more. And all of a sudden, there's a lamb that had looked as he had been slain who was able to open the book. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we just give you praise for who you are and what you've done this week at Vacation Bible School through Neighborhood Bible Time. That we saw souls being saved, children understanding understanding their nature that all of us share. Father, I just pray for those children that accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior. Continue to nourish them and grow them. If they don't have a church home, help them to find one that will help to grow them into your your witnesses, into your people. Father, we pray for this service. We pray for this message. I pray that you continue to hide me behind the cross. Take Trevor Allridge and put him aside. and Let you speak through. Father, I just pray that your words are what are are shown and that you are glorified, for we know that thou art worthy. Father, we just give you all the praise in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So we see that word worthy. What does that mean to be worthy? Webster defines worthy in 1828 as deserving such as merit, or deserving such as merit, having worth or excellence. You know, it, man oftentimes does, defines worth in a person by their actions and what they do. Many times when you're in the military, they when they start off in order to be found worthy as a soldier, they go through their basic training where, you know, the one evangelist Alex was explaining to us what he went through when he was, Uh, When he was becoming an airman, when he was joining the air force, and how, whenever he got there, how he just all of a sudden was screaming and running. And his first night, somebody came in the next morning into his barracks screaming and yelling just to wake them up. And if they weren't ready in a certain amount of time, they were, you know, going to be running or some sort of punishment. They were they were breaking them down to become worthy of the uniform. That we, I think, of even kids. I don't know if they still do these anymore, because I know we live in a world that kind of frowns upon it. But they little boys having the no girls club, you know, the girls have cooties, so girls can't come in, right? You know, I we had some of them whenever I was in uh, in school. It was called Cub Scouts, but um, <coughs> but you know they have different worth. They have they look at who you are to determine if you're worthy. I know personally, whenever I was. There was one time in my life where I had to be determined if I was worthy in scouting. We have what's called the order of the arrow. I've mentioned it up here before. It's scouting's National Honor Society. And if you ever see a young scout with with a white sash and a red arrow, that means that he was found worthy to wear that arrow. The first, there's three honor levels. The first one called an arrowman, you are voted on by your troop. Your troop sees the works as you as a scout and they say, okay, you're 13 years old, you're a good scout. A lot of times it's you're a good man, or not a good man, they're not men yet, but uh, they're, they're a good friend or whatever it may be, so they vote them in and then they have to go through what's called an ordeal, which is uh, a list or a, uh, some tasks that people that these kids have to go through in order to uh, show they're worthy to the lodge, which are things that most of the time young teens Don't do. And once you're in, and you're in for 10 months, then you decide if you're worthy of the next honor level. It's called the brotherhood. You have two bars. Now, if you ever see, a, once again, a white sash with an arrow, but this time it has two red bars. That's the brotherhood. That's something that you decided, that you were worthy, that you were ready to go forward in, into the order of the arrow, that you're ready to give your life to the, the, in dedication to this organization, that you're ready to be the scout among scouts. You know, Paul says that he was a Hebrew among Hebrews. Well, you're a scouter among scouts. And from there, you start doing things in the lodge. You start taking uh, leadership roles. You start going every week to, um, to different uh, lodge events. You start going through these ordeals as a guide or what they call an alangamat. Uh, it's a fun Indian or Native American word for, for guide or friend. You start going through these ordeals again and again and again with these new scouts coming in. And you're just trying to prove your worth for the third step. If you ever see uh, a young man or even an adult, I I didn't get this far until I was 18 years old. It's a white sash, red arrow, two bars with a triangle in the middle. And that represents the vigil honor. Vigil means prayer. It means that you have been ready and that you have shown yourself worthy to other vigil members, to other people who have been through each and everything. For two years you have been a brotherhood member. Now you have exemplified the scout oath and law and you're ready to live by it. You know, there's a. I think they say it's 4% of scouts get to Eagle Scout, and even a single percent of Eagle Scouts get to the Vigil Honor. And it's from there that they determine your worth, that a group of men look at you and say, you have lived your life by the scout oath, by the scout law, by the scout motto, by the scout slogan. There's all these different things they they determine your worth through. And from there, you're voted, you're tapped, and you have to sit your vigil. And then once you get to there, you're expected to continue to prove your worth. You're expected to continue to do things. And you know, we often... <coughs> we often that, that That shows a sign of works. A lot of religions will base your worth off works. About what you can do to continue to be saved. And even in some religions, when they say that God had chosen you, that if you didn't do enough works to prove that you're saved, you lose that that security about whether or not you had actually been saved. Worthiness is something that that man thinks that you have to work for. Can I just say, as a man, as a man in his own flesh, who had had to go before the cross and say, Jesus, I need you to be saved. I need you for me to be saved. That I'm not worthy of anything. That my works will never be good enough. But let me tell you there's a lamb that is worthy. There is a lamb that is worthy. There is a God who is worthy. There is a God who is worthy. And it's not about exactly his works, he was the only one that could take the cross. Because he knew that there wasn't any works that he could do. Because he was sinless. He didn't have to work, he didn't have to do anything. He was God. From the very beginning, from eternity's past, God was worthy. From eternity's past, we had a lamb. The Bible says that he was slain from the foundation of the world. And it's from there we find that God is worthy. How is he worthy? Well, point number one, I see first of all that his worthiness is shown in his creation. In verse number 11 of chapter number 4, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You ever just stepped outside? You know, one thing that I just don't understand is when evolutionists or uh, people who don't, or atheists, agnostics, those who don't believe in creation, or even deists. Deists are people who believe that God was working, he created all things, and then he just stopped and let man do their own thing. <coughs> or how deists can just say that God stopped working and creating. But when I walk outside and I see the sunrise, I, you know, Keith and I, Kim's fiance over here, we were just down in North Carolina earlier, uh, actually it's been a week now that we went down, and just seeing the ocean, and I looked at Keith when we got to the ocean, it was his first time in, mem- in cognitive memory, going to the ocean, and he looked at it, he goes, "Wow, that's overwhelming." And I said, "You know what? Our God tells those oceans where to stop, tells those oceans where to start, tells those oceans how to call far to go in with the tide and how far to go back. I don't know if you've ever played in the ocean or you know swam in the ocean, getting knocked over by the waves or getting caught in a in a in a riptide. Let me tell you, getting caught in a riptide is kind of scary. I got, I got caught in a couple of them while I was out there. You know, if you ever get caught in one swim swim uh, parallel to the to the shore, it'll believe me, you want to do it. But that's our God that does that. That's our God. If you ever watch a sunrise or a sunset, the colors and everything created by our God. And it's by those things that we are all without excuse. Romans chapter number 1 in verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. From the creation of the world, we can just look outside and know that there is a God. That there is a creator. That there was one that was worthy to create all these things. And for that being said, I was going to mention it this morning because of how my, how my throat was. You know, I'd woken up with, with a sore throat and I couldn't really talk and it was still kind of crack, crackly whenever I got here to church. You know, in the book of Luke, Jesus says that immediately, immediately, If every one of us stopped praising God, God, the rocks would cry out. The rocks would cry out. I don't know about you, but a God that's that powerful, a God that's that magnificent, a God that's that mighty, where the rocks, something that doesn't even have life, will cry out for Him. That is a God who is worthy of all praise. That is a God who is worthy of all praise. Uh, a following, a God who is worthy of all honor and glory and power. That we see God has created all things. That even the, a man by the name of Gary uh, Fugel, I think I'm pronouncing it right, in 2015, he wrote an article online where he was talking about his salvation. And at the beginning he said, my name is Gary so-and-so and I have a, B, a PhD in biology. Now, you don't hear that too often in Christian circles, that they have a Ph.D. in biology. Well, when he had gotten his Ph.D., he was, an, he was an atheist, devoutly, to the point where he couldn't see how there could be a God in a world that they view as chaotic. Keith had mentioned that he's a, he, he doesn't quite care for the ocean because we know more about what's in space than what's in the bottom of our own ocean the atheists will see that in what goes on in outer space as chaotic. Their worldview is so skewed that they don't see how we have a gravity that holds us into place. That we have an atmosphere completely perfect for us breathing. And this, this Gary uh, Fugel said, I was personally swayed from atheistic reasoning, not by scientific data, but by an overwhelming sense that the mechanistic descriptions could not account for all I perceived about existence. He goes on to talk about how the Holy Spirit worked in his life. And for those of you who are like me and those big words scare you, he's basically saying all those mechanical parts of the world, all those things that are moving and working, it's overwhelming in the idea that there could be no God. You know, they think that there's no God. He says it's too overwhelming to say that there, that there is no God. He says that we need to say that there is a God. Because if not, it just doesn't make sense. And let me tell you, you're probably questioning right now, how does this deal with worthiness? Well, I'm trying to explain to you and paint to you this picture of the magnificence of our God. And how big He is, and how grand He is, and how He's taken this, this world Informed it, spoke it into existence, took you, informed you, stitched you in your mother's womb. And Adam, he took from the dust and breathed his own breath into us. His worthiness is shown through his creation. This one, just real quick, this is really plain to see. His worthiness is shown in celestial glory. And we see here in the throne room of God where we see the four and twenty elders falling before his throne. And I saw the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book within, written within, and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof. I read the wrong part. I apologize. I wanted to read ahead of that. <clears throat> but we see the 24 elders fall before him. And it says that they're worshiping him day and night. Day and night. And night, constantly, always before our God, giving Him the praise and in the in, in the worship that He has. He's constantly being praised. The other day, we were at uh, what's that burger place in Austin Town? Coaches, coaches in Austin Town, and it was a few of us from the young adult class. And uh, we it was after VBS. We were all hungry, so we went out to eat and get some food. And we started talking about. Uh, mine and Keith's trip to D.C., it was, a, it was a weekend of firsts for me and Keith. Keith had never been to D.C., so we were there. We went to uh, Kenny Baldwin's church, which was an experience, let me tell you. Um, and uh, we, went to the DC, we went to D.C. afterwards, and I wish we could have went to Arlington National Cemetery. We didn't really have the time, and we started talking about Arlington National Cemetery and, and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is a monument and a tribute to, and it is a tomb, to several young men who gave their lives on the battlefield. It, the first one was in the 1920s in from the First World War. They, technology wasn't all that great back in the 1920s. They weren't able to look at dental records or any uh, sort of genetic. Uh, the things that they do today, uh, I forget what that's called, forensic science or whatever it's called, um, where they kind of look and they start seeing who these people are and they start identifying them and all those kind of things. Well, they didn't have that in the 20s. So now, so they, they built this monument to this soldier who, who didn't have an identity, more or less. And from that point on, through rain, shine, tornado, hurricane, snowstorm, sounds like every time I preach, uh, he is being guard, This this tomb is being guarded. There was a hurricane in 2003 that wet swept through the East Coast. And it wasn't Hurricane uh, Katrina, it was, I think it was Isabel, um, that came through and that tomb was still guarded. That those men were still walking back and forth, keeping the, their, their pledge of, of, of respect and their pledge of silence and in their, and their honor code. That even whenever, if you and I were to go visit, if we started yelling or talking, that they would stop right where they're at and say, there is a strict rule of silence and respect. How solemn it is at this place. And it's in the throne room of God, where day in and day out, I can't say in, in rain, snow, sunshine, because this is the throne room of God. Day in and day out, since the foundation of the world, we have had our God who has been fallen down before by His angels and by His elders and by the beasts, saying, holy, holy, holy. I don't know how much more I can go from that point. That day in and day out, we see our God is worthy just by who is there. And that day in and day out, He's being worshipped. Once again, folks, if we don't worship God, the rocks will cry out. God will be worshipped. And third point, which is the one I kind of really want to hone in on, this is the one where many of us, this is where the Lamb is found worthy. It's His worthiness in His crucifixion. In His crucifixion, In his, or you can say in his sacrifice. Or in his, in the slaying of the lamb. Or in his blood atonement. But in chapter number 5, I've already read that part there. And it says, and no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. I just want to stop right there. Remember what I said in the introduction when I said that, Man oftentimes is found, finds their worth in what they do and works. Let me read that again where it says, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. No man. No man is worthy of, to look upon this book. No man can get to heaven by his own merit. No man can be found worthy. But, but, if we read on, and I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open, and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld and low in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as if, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And he took, and he came and took the book upon the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. This is where I really come in with the question, I kind of I'm going to step away from the notes there because my notes actually kind of end, right there. I really, kind of. This was a hard message. I knew God wanted me to come out of here because every time I tried to get away from it, kept getting brought back. Tried to get away from it, got getting. Brought. I really wanted to call you all a bunch of fools today, but He God said no. You're not preaching out First Corinthians. I and I said so. But is He worthy? Is he worthy? It says the lamb that was slain. Can I remind you that the Bible says that no man is worthy? In other parts of the Bible, it says that no man is righteous. No, not one. No man doeth good. No, not one. But God offered us a free gift of salvation. God offered us. God lived a sinless life. God came to this earth in the form of a man, lived a sinless life. Let me tell you, this is the same gospel that was presented to the disciples. This is the same gospel that was presented to, to the world 2,000 years ago. This is the same gospel that was presented to kings and queens. This is the same gospel that was presented to our children this week We're nine kids, nine Kids came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. This is the same gospel that you and I were saved off of. And friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ today as your personal Lord and Savior, what are you waiting for? It was God who was worthy. And I have to ask you, if you are saved today, and can I say that you are saved, there's no losing it. Because the Lamb was found worthy, and in His blood we are found in Him, can I say, can I ask you if you're saved today? Is Christ worthy in your life? What are you doing on outside of this place? You know, we're recording and uh, you know doing the live stream, but I really want to talk to the members here at Bailey Road Baptist Church. I don't mean to meddle or anything like that, but I want to talk to your hearts. I really want you to just kind of listen and to really ponder on your hearts on what. Is it mean what it means for Christ to be worthy in your life. When God calls you to do something, what do you do? Do you just push it aside and say, I don't want to? Do you say that, oh, I'm too, I'm, I'm too old, I've already done my retirement, as if the Christian life is, a, is something that you can walk up in the morning or one day and say, I don't want to do the Christian life anymore. I don't want to serve God anymore. I'm going to file for my 401k, take the retirement and live the easy life doesn't happen, folks. If Christ is worthy in your life, if Christ is number one in your life, if Christ is the reason you get up in the morning, I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're five, I don't care if you're fifteen, I don't care if you're fifty-five, hundred and five, Christ will be your reason to get up in the morning. There is no 401k plan. There is no retirement. There is no sitting back and just living the easy life. We had a great amount of people working VBS this week from, from <coughs> our, our senior and seasoned saints all the way to we had William mopping the floors. Now That was yesterday at his sister's open house but still he knew that it was God's place that it needed to look good. I, if I'm meddling too much someone just tell me. I don't mean to. Are you getting into your word or into his word daily? In the two teens I talked to about rededicating their life to the Lord, you know the first thing I asked them is, first of all, are you saved? And both times their answers were yes, amen. They're saved. Second question, are you baptized? One was yes, one was no. Third question, are you in the word daily? And you know what one what both of them said? Can I tell you that God gave us a book that gives us not only our, our, our plan of salvation, but he gave us a book that has our doctrine, a book that has our instruction for righteousness, that rebukes us. Some of us don't like to read the Bible just because it, it makes us sometimes feel bad. Let me tell you, the, uh, Ephesians 5, I believe it is, it makes me feel bad. Why? Because I struggle with anger from time to time. And it tells me not to do that. I know pastor has a book in the Bible, or a chapter in the Bible he doesn't like because it doesn't make him feel right. But what does that do? That's the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to change us, to mold us. Why? Because he's worthy to change us. He's worthy to mold us. We live in a world today, and and I've talked about this so many times from the pulpit, that we live in a world today where Jesus isn't worthy to to people. To people. To people, Jesus isn't worthy. Waking up in the morning and going to church is what old people do. Reading your Bible every day is an inconvenience. Preaching the gospel to, or giving, witnessing the gospel to friends and family is, it might cause some division. It might cause somebody to get mad at me. Or better yet, that's, that's just Christian circles. We live in a world today where you talk about God and now you're public enemy, numero uno. Number one for anybody who doesn't speak Spanish. Um, we have congresspeople, when they pray and their services, they're saying amen and a woman. I'm sorry, amen isn't anything to do with masculinity But they see the word man and they're saying it's woman. That they're going more and more away from what God has intended. To them, God isn't worthy. To them, God isn't the sufficient way to heaven. To them, they're going to be the ones really who are going to be standing there saying, Who is worthy? Who is worthy? Let me tell you, Today as we come to start to wrap up and come to a close here and I'm, I'm not quite in the invitation yet but as Christians as Bible believing Christians those of us who who <clears throat> now this is the Sunday night crowd most of the time I'll I'll see you here on Sunday nights or more more than a couple times a week but we're the ones that usually we're the we're Bible believing church I lost my train of thought. <laughs> We're a Bible believing church. We should be taking what we claim to believe out. What are you doing outside of out here? Outside of here. How's your language? How's your language? What about the the friends that you keep? I'm not saying if you're if you're saved that you shouldn't have unsaved friends they got to hear the gospel but where do they stand in your life you know they they if you hang around somebody enough you're going to start to become like them you know the bible says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of christ if we are in god's word if we are living for him can i tell you today that you're going to become like him if you find him worthy in your life, you're going to become like him. And so that way, when we are in the book, when, when the Lamb comes before the throne, you know, we are going to understand that there is no man that's worthy. We're, going to, they're, they're, we're still going to see who is worthy, who is worthy, who is worthy. But right now, right now, we can go to the world. And tell them who is worthy. The question I asked, is he worthy? And as we go here shortly into this time of invitation, I ask you, is he worthy in your life? Is there something that you're not giving up because of your pride? Is there something you're not giving up because you're afraid that you're going to upset somebody? Or how it makes you look? Is there something in your life that you haven't given wholeheartedly to the Lord. God calls for all of our surrender. What are you doing? Are you at church just on Sunday morning to check off a box? Are you reading the Bible uh, just to say that you did your duty as a Christian? Is your prayers, are they just the, the vain repetition? God is good, God is great, let us... I can't remember the whole thing, the, whole, the thing that we teach our kids. Is that all that we're doing? Did you just come to VBS this week just because, eh, why not? I had nothing else to do. What are you doing? Is God worthy in your life? We just had nine kids saved this week. Can I say that again? We just had nine kids saved this week. You know, every angel, every angel in heaven rejoiced for those children. A God who has, a God like that, let me tell you, He's worthy of all praise. He's worthy of all power. He's worthy of all honor and all glory. And As we come to this time of invitation, is He worthy in your life? We'll have every head bowed and every eye closed this evening.